0: Hey everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, your public safety guru, bringing you another exciting lecture for your EMT program. Today we will be talking about physiology and pathophysiology. If you are in my program, this lecture will be for your block two exam. So the topics we'll be talking about in this podcast are homeostasis, organization of life, fundamental unit of life, vital nutrients, water, electrolytes, movement of particles and water, fluid spaces, metabolism, perfusion, and unfortunately that thing we refer to as death. So, what is homeostasis? An example of homeostasis is your body regulating temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, blood glucose levels, and body fluid composition. In other words, your body is always in a change or a flux of change where it's trying to maintain itself and stay happy. It wants to be in a happy place. With that, it's constantly doing things to keep it happy. It doesn't want to be sad. So homeostasis is everything that your body is doing to maintain that happiness. Homeostasis can never be achieved by anything external. So what this means is that if an EMT is giving someone treatment, that that treatment is not homeostasis. If you see test questions asking you or essentially asking you what is not homeostasis, you need to look for the answer that is something that is outside of the body correcting itself. The key here is remembering homeostasis is the person's body doing things to maintain that happiness or that normalness. Let's talk body functions. Ultimately, all body functions are cell functions. The level of organization of cells is this. We have cells which make tissues. Tissues make organs. Organs make organ systems and the organ systems make the organism. organism. Now, the vital nutrients for us are oxygen and glucose, as we've talked about in previous lectures. If any one of these system systems fail, then the organism fails, which ultimately leads to organ failure, death of tissue, and ultimately the death of the organism, which is us. What is a typical human cell? A typical human cell is watery cytoplasma, the wall is semi-permeable. there's receptors on this wall, and there's also organelles, which is spelled O-R-G-A-N-E-L-L-E-S. When testing, don't forget the vital nutrients of the cell are oxygen and water, but also our cells need glucose as this is the energy source. As EMTs, we're allowed to give glucose and we usually carry it in the form of a paste inside of a tube the reason why we give it is that if the brain is lacking glucose if we give glucose the brain will immediately process that glucose regardless of the insulin level of the body because once again as we learned in previous lectures the brain the brain consists of cells that are able to process insulin or i'm sorry glucose without insulin Once again, for testing purposes, a altered level of consciousness will occur in those patients that are hypoxic. This is our sign that tells us that a person is possibly hypoxic. Any slight change in oxygen levels of the brain will start to produce an altered level of consciousness. Now, that could be simply not able to do certain tasks, being confused not able to answer questions appropriately, these would all be signs and symptoms of an altered level of consciousness that may be possibly as a result of hypoxia. Now, did you know that the body is 72% water? The body, once again, regulates our water, and we have this little formula that you don't need to remember, but amount eliminated equals amount ingested. So if you've ever seen those people drinking a gallon of water, you can ask them, do you, you, do you urinate a lot? And usually they'll tell you yes. Well, because that's because your body could only process so much water. Now this next part of the lecture, I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't like it. But it's information I have to give you because there is a possibility it will be on your block exam as well as national registry. Please bear with me. There is no way I can make this stuff exciting. Electrolytes There are four basic elements of electrolytes Sodium, potassium, bicarbonate, and calcium Now by this time you probably have heard of diffusion and osmosis So what is exactly diffusion? The definition of diffusion is A process of particle and gas movement within the body at at a molecular level An example would include diffusion of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So we have oxygen moving into the body and carbon dioxide moving out of the body. This would be an example of diffusion. I always remember it this way. Diffusion is the movement of particles from higher concentration to lower concentration. So your lungs, your lungs have utilized the oxygen and there's now no oxygen inside your lungs. So you will take a breath in. That high concentration oxygen will now go to those areas that have low, low oxygen and fill it. So this is another example. If you were looking at the slide that I was looking at, you would see a dropper dropping a bunch of pellets into a bowl of water. At that point in time, the pellets would break apart and be evenly dis- distribu- uh, distributed throughout the entire solution. This is another way of looking at diffusion. Now let's talk osmosis. Osmosis is the movement of water from an area of high, higher water concentration to an area of lesser water concentration. So one more time a movement of water from an area of higher water concentration to an area of lesser water concentration. How can I get you to think about the movement of water for osmosis? What I'd like for you to do is take a piece of paper and draw a line diagonally, starting at the top left going down to the bottom right. On the upper right portion of the paper, label that, interstitial fluid, I-N-T-E-R-S-T-I-T-I-A-L. And next to that, put 30% solute concentration, S-O-L-U-T-E. Now on the bottom left of your paper, make that intracellular fluid and call this 20% solute concentration. Now with this diagram or picture in mind, I want you to think about that 20% moving over across that line to the 30%. So you have the fluid moving towards the top of the paper, and now the interstitial tissue fluid is 25%, and the intracellular is 25%. So osmosis is that process of evening out the concentration so both sides are equal. Without showing you a PowerPoint, but this is about the best way I can describe it to you. Well, you may be asking, well, why is this even important? Well, it kind of now deals with dehydration. Let's first talk about the signs and symptoms of dehydration dry mucous membranes, poor skin trigger with tenting. What that is, is if you were to squeeze the back of someone's hand and make a tent, if you are not dehydrated your skin will return to normal if you're dehydrated then the skin will say tented then eventually return to normal sunken fontanelles this is when a baby's soft part of their head sinks in that's a very good indicator of dehydration tearless crying decrease in diaper changes i'll tell you you need to talk to the mom and you ask the mom the question mom is the baby going through the same amount of diapers as normal Trust me, moms know how many diapers their kids go through every day. They know what abnormal is, and then signs of shock: tachycardia, tachypnea, pale, cool, moist skin. Now, for those of you that are going to paramedic school, this whole diffusion osmosis will even play a bigger role, especially for those that you that you, for those of you that go outside of Valley County. When I first started in EMS, we had three different flavors of IV. We had D5W, lactated ringers, and normal saline. Today, it's just normal saline. But the reason why there was different fluids was because we wanted water to do certain things, not go into the tissue and so forth. With that, isotonic solutions are used to prevent the movement of water or harm cells, so normal saline. The salinity of normal saline is 0.09%. Your blood is 0.09%. So when we start an IV, the fluid from the IV is going to stay within the blood vessel. It's not going to go anyplace else. So this acts as a vein for us that we can go ahead and administer medications or give the patient some normal saline to fill the volume, especially if they're hypovolemic. Let's talk metabolism. Energy production. It's absolutely necessary for the survival of all organisms. So a definition of metabolism is what the body does to make and store energy. Over the years, you probably have heard people have fast metabolisms and slow metabolisms. We're going to break down metabolism a little bit better. (laughs) That's if I could pronounce the dang word. Now we have two types of metabolism. We have aerobic and anaerobic. Unfortunately, for those of you in the program that I teach in, you've already had your block one exam and you've already talked about carbonic acid and lactic acid. I do apologize for that. Aerobic metabolism produces carbonic acid and carbonic acid easily leaves the body. We're always in this aerobic metabolism. Now, for those people that work out, you put your body into a state called anaerobic metabolism. And this is where you produce lactic acid. For, so for those of you that have ever been very stiff after a workout, you're stiff because of the lactic acid that's in your body. And you, as you know, it does not diffuse quickly. And so you're in pain sometimes for days. So it's very slow to get rid of. At the EMT level, this is what we need to understand about aerobic and anaerobic. More importantly, aerobic produces carbonic acid, easily taken away out of the body as waste, and then anaerobic is lactic acid, which we know is stays in the system of, for a longer period of time. Let's talk acid-base balance now, which is the pH scale. Our bodies want to maintain a certain pH balance, but unfortunately we have derangements that will alter that pH, and these are known as acid-base derangements. They are respiratory acidosis, respiratory alkalosis, metabolic acidosis, and metabolic alkalosis. These are various different derangements that will affect a person's pH balance. Metabolic acidosis is a pH less than 7.35. Patients with diabetes, possible overdose on antifreeze. Yes, I said antifreeze and believe it or not, there are people who drink it. And overdose of aspirin. These three things that people have or do to themselves can put their pH below that 7.35, thus making a metabolic acidosis. In this range, we also have respiratory acidosis. Respiratory acidosis is a decrease in CO2 elimination. Where do we see this condition? Well, we see this condition in narcotic, narcotic coma, COPD, and cardiac arrest we look at these three conditions, we are essentially seeing CO2 not decreasing because the person isn't breathing properly. We've talked about this before in class. Every inhalation and exhalation is a bringing in of oxygen and a taking out of carbon dioxide. So if the body is not exhaling, that carbon dioxide is building up inside of our body thus putting us into a respiratory acidosis. On the opposite end, a pH greater than 7.45 is considered alkalosis. We have metabolic alkalosis, which is a decrease in hydrogen. What could lead to this? Well, prolonged vomiting or diuresis. Diuresis is the constant urination. Um, This is usually... Body's usually doing this to get rid of those bad things inside of the body so they keep being, keep urinating is the best way I can explain it. With that pH of greater than 7.45, we also have respiratory alkalosis, which is an increase in CO2 elimination. This is associated with the medical emergency of hyperventilation. We will be talking about hyperventilation during a later lecture. We will probably visit perfusion throughout the entire lecture program because we want to make sure that the human body, our patients, are perfusing. If they're not perfusing, then we have shock. We want to prevent shock or treat for shock. Perfusion is a function of fluid volume, fluid contents, and blood pressure. It is the circulation of oxygenated blood throughout the entire body. Without perfusion, body tissues will starve and die. When you conclude this lecture, there's three terms I want you to look up and memorize and make a 3x5 card. Hypoxia, ischemia, and infarction. Now, if this is your first lecture you're listening, I tell my students I'm a big fan of the 3x5 card. There are just certain things you need to memorize, and because of that, you should throw them on a 3x5 card and memorize them and regurgitate them because they're going to be utilized during the testing process, national registry, and your career. Let's talk hypoxia. First, the brain. If the brain is hypoxic, it will cause immediate irritability. We normally see that in the form of altered level of consciousness. In the heart, it also causes irritability, and we will see this in the form of chest pain. Now a few of you have heard me talk about death and are you afraid of doing CPR? And of course, me being the smartest that I am will say, hey, there's nothing to worry about. The person's already dead. Well, what is clinically what is clinical death? By definition, clinical death is the moment breathing and circulations cease. The condition is potentially reversible, but it just depends on quite. It depends on actually quite a bit. How fast CPR is performed? Is there an AED? Did the patient suffer a heart uh, a heart problem that can be reversed with an AED? So many many different factors, but we always try. Now, with biological death, this is considered permanent death. No breathing, no pulse, no brain activity, brain death. This is where a paramedic will call the base hospital and get permission to call the patient in the field. And then we'll stop working up the patient right then and there. Now, in the classroom setting, this would be ending our initial lecture. However, there are some things we need to discuss as far as uh, the various different things to do with pathophysiology. So we have a few more slides. Bear with me. What I'd like to do right now is go ahead and take our 20-minute break that we're accustomed to taking, and then let's get back to it. We were talking about cells when we first started this lecture. You need to know, or you should know, that there are various different functions that the human cell does There's movement Conductivity meta- Metabolic absorption secretion, Excretion resp- Respiration and reproduction There are things that can cause Cellular damage or injury Hypoxia A chemical Infections Some type of immune or inflammatory response Physical agents Nutritional imbalances, genetic factors, and manifestations of an injury. So things that uh, an injury causing damage or injury to the cell. A nice to know thing is cancer cells. The true cause is still unknown, but scientists believe it's probable a gene that causes a cell to mutate. The cause is... By a substance we know as a carcinogen. Cellular damage can also be caused by genetic and hereditary disease. There's a mistake that takes place in our DNA coding. This is normally attributed to some type of incorrect bonding during the DNA chain. And then cells just get old. Aging of cells. Some cells stop reproducing at various different Stages of our life. What we have to remember is our body is a sum of all total cells, tissues, and organs. Cells do not have an unlimited lifespan. An example of that is red blood cells are alive for 120 days. Epidermis is a short lifespan, the heart is a long lifespan, hopefully. Some cells that have the capabilities of mitosis have a limited number of divisions. Quite simply, it's kind of like the rechargeable battery. You can only recharge a battery so many times and then it's just not chargeable anymore. And then we have deterioration of our chromosomes with this typical aging. So fun to grow old, old, right guys? Cellular death. Hepatosis. A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. This is usually normal. Cells shrink and are destroyed selectively. So this is our normal cellular death. And then we have necrosis. It's always pathological. Cells swell and rupture, destroying neighboring cells. So we have two types of cellular death. Summary of our cells. Cells work closely together. They function independently. Each make a contribution to the body as a whole. They do not function as individuals, but as groups. And groups with similar structures form tissue. Tissues. Tissues are a group of cells with a similar structure and function. These contribute to the functioning of organs. So we have epithelial, muscle, cardiac, smooth, skeletal, connective, and nerve tissue. Epithelial tissue have no capillaries, they receive their nutrients from connective tissue. Some have secretion capabilities called glands, and we see these um, we see epithelial tissue in coverings, the outer surface, linings, and the inner surface. We've talked about this before, but we also have three types of muscle tissue skeletal, otherwise known as striated or voluntary, smooth which is visceral and involuntary and cardiac as you can see some of this should be reviewed to you if you've been listening to the lectures from lecture one now on connective tissue we have adipose fibrous elastic elastic blood bone and cartilage these Separately, all form a matrix of some type. Nerve tissue. In order for there to be a nerve impulse, there has to be an electrical and chemical signal. The electrical elements of this impulse, there are three different states. We have the resting state, which is polarization, the depolarization state, which is the firing, and the repolarization state, which is recharging and resetting phase. This impulse triggers the appropriate signal response. How can we put this whole entire lecture together? I want you to think about it in this way. When things go wrong. Write that down. When things go wrong. So we have to ask ourselves. This is when we put on our detective hat. Yes, I know those of you that want to be firefighters, but believe it or not... EMS is kind of police work because we got to be detectives. Just don't tell firefighters that. So, first thing. What happened, where, when, how, and why? The next part. Can it be treated? Next part. If so, how? Next part. If not, what supportive measures may be required? Next part. Can it be prevent, prevented in the future? This is putting everything together. Because in EMS, we're going to try to get there. We're going to evaluate our patient. And then based upon what we find, we're either going to try to fix what's going on. And if we can't fix it, we're going to keep our patients alive or do the best we can and get them to the hospital and in route, stabilize them to the best of our ability and give the doctor something to work with. That is what we do. This ends our lecture on physiology and pathophysiology. For those of you in my EMT program, this information in this lecture will be on your block two exam. So you may wanna re-listen to it. I'm gonna go ahead and throw two plugs first plug is I finally got my public safety website. It's a website designed for everything public safety related, hence the Public Safety Guru. So you can find me at www.publicsafetyguru.com. And once again, if you are listening to this for your benefit, uh, this is all being done out of the goodness out of my heart. Any donations will be much appreciated. If not though, keep listening, keep enjoying, and keep learning. And remember, the goal here is to not only be a good EMT, but to actually be a great EMT. You have a good night, and I will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.